Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the signs and speeches of Jesus and the spite that surrounded them. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say hi to a couple of people. I know that sounds a bit strange, but as we move into the new year, I think it is the perfect time to greet a few of our listeners specifically. I've mentioned before that I think it is really awesome that my sermons get listened to around the world. We are not a big church, and it just amazes me how many countries my preaching reaches through this podcast. That said, it seems that most of the time my sermons get listened to outside of the United States are one-offs. People find one of them through a search or whatever, and they listen. However, we've noticed that there are a few places where people are listening to our sermons almost every week, and I want to acknowledge those people. So to you who are listening in Madrid, Paris, Dublin, Brussels, and Frankfurt, hi. I appreciate you listening. I've prayed for you. And honestly, I think it would be really cool to connect with you. If you ever want to say hi back, send me an email at chad at creekside.me or send me a message on Instagram. My username is Chad A. Harms. And in the meantime, know that it's a huge blessing for me and for our church to know that you are listening. To everyone else, Happy New Year. I hope 2022 will be an amazing year for you, a year where you see the movement of God in your life in a mighty way. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Uh, this right here is, uh, is one of my scouting reports from high school basketball. And, uh, and man, I still hate South Salem. And uh, I mean, this, this was a rivalry. And, uh, and so uh, Natalie went to South Salem, and I like her, so... Um, so this, this, what this brings to my mind is this was actually not the same game. The next time we played them, it was at their place. It's one of the, it's a crazy gym, and I've seen some wild stuff there even when I wasn't playing. But I had made a three-pointer. I know, you're going to be like, can this guy even be a pastor? But I had made a three-pointer during this game at the end of the game to tie it. And I had turned to this crowd, lots of people, and I had shushed the crowd. Uh, I was a little bit arrogant back then uh, about sports. So the next game, and this was not an abnormal part of my life, uh, I show up to South Salem, and I come out, and, and these people, and you're very close to the, the crowd at South Salem High School, like they are like right here. They are saying things to me that I cannot repeat here, that I will not repeat here. It's like so bad because people yell things, right? You play sports, people yell things. It is so bad that my teammates are laughing at me. They liked me, but they're like, they're entertained by like how, you know, the words being said to me. Uh, and and this, uh, this was a part of my life in high school. I now... I was hated. I can tell you that story. Uh, I almost broke my fibula uh, against North Salem High School in a baseball game. I hate North Salem too. Um, and, uh, and and I caught I caught first base like this, uh, and and had to be carried off the field. And people are laughing at me from North Salem High School. Sprague, 
I hate Sprague. Um, uh, I, I hate them all. Uh, Sprague High School, this guy, Bill, Bill Swankut, he's the all-time leading sack getter in Oregon State history. Uh, but I took a charge against him. I'm sure I said something in basketball. I would not have said a single word to him in football. And Bill looked at me. So last time I've talked to Bill, and we had had somewhat of an acquaintance-ness before this, and he looked at me and said, Harms, I'll kill you. Uh, he's the all-time leading sack getter in Oregon State history. He could kill me. Like, this was, like, Bill could kill me. That would be, uh, Bill, I love you if you're listening. Um, uh, he was a big man. Like, uh, and and none of this ever bothered me, partly because I was so arrogant, but partly for the reason that I, I want to tell you this morning, because I think it connects to what we'll see in the passage. I know you don't believe that at all. Uh, but uh, I was not bothered by any of this because I didn't care about the praise of the other team. Like, I cared about what my coaches thought. I cared about what my teammates thought. I cared about what the cheerleaders thought. I cared about what my friends at school thought. I cared about what my family thought. But all those people that were yelling mean things and laughing about me when I got carried off the field, I didn't care one bit about what they thought. I wasn't seeking their praise or glory. Now, this is the part where you might think, well, he's a pastor. He's going to say, like, I only wanted God's glory. No, I didn't. that was not me in high school. That's not what I was aiming for at all. But I didn't care about their glory. And so that stuff had absolutely no effect on me. And today we finish this series of sermons in the section in John that's so unique. I didn't even know it was there until I started preaching it. But, but it's this section where we see, if you've been around, you know this, there's this growing spite, anger, hatred towards Jesus. And today we see one more story like this, and, and we see one final point that I think John wants us to take with us before we move into really a, another section that's quite clear. I'll talk about this section break today. But here's the point. When we desire the glory of man over the glory of God, we won't follow Jesus. When we desire the glory of man over the glory of God, we won't follow Jesus. Jesus. Here's how the story begins. John 12, 17 through 19. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees are, they do not like Jesus. These are the strictest sect of religious leaders and, and their spite is growing and they already want to arrest and kill Jesus. And, and that is growing here. And, and at the end of this, I just want to maybe take your attention back to what we've seen, uh, because I know it's hard to remember, but uh, in this section, like Jesus is incredibly divisive and I'm not much of a sermon title guy. You probably don't even ever know what my sermon titles are. You've been around 10 years. You've never heard one of them. Uh, they go like, you know, on a couple of places, so we have to name them. But like, I don't ever think about them. But I think my sermon titles for this series, best work I've ever done on sermon titles. Usually it's like some word from the passage. Uh, but in this one, I don't know if I was in a creative mood the day I was naming them. Uh, I, I went all out. And, and I want to read them to you, not so that you can think, wow, what a creative guy, but because I think they help. I should have probably talked about them throughout. They help maybe 
help you remember what we've seen, think about what we've seen. So the first one is the madness. Remember he heals the guy on, on the Sabbath and they get so mad because he challenges the cultural norms at the time. The people get really mad about that. The next one was the food feud. Come on, that's a good one. That's hard to say even, right? Uh, where Jesus, they want to make him king, but they don't want to make him, you know, the king that he is, the spiritual king who's come to set things right in our souls. They want to they put a crown on him, have him overthrow the government. So they don't like him because he won't be the king that they want him to be. Uh, the testimony tension, and here is Jesus saying, look, like, like there's all of these different ways that, that you can see that I am who I say I am, that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And man, they are bothered by how Jesus talks about how these things point to him. The Father claimed fury. There, people are ticked because he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, look, I am God in human form. And, and man, they, they cannot, some, not everybody, but People cannot stand that. And then you have the resurrection rage, the one that makes the least amount of sense. He brings a guy back from the dead, and man, it, I mean, people want to kill him and the guy he brings back from the dead. And we talked about how that was all because Jesus was a threat to their power and their comfort. And so we see, we've seen all of these things that, that Jesus does, that he says, that increases the spite of around him. And today's sermon, it doesn't even make any sense. It's not as good as the rest, but it's called Sightless Signs. And I know it doesn't make sense, but the reason that's important, because here in this passage, we see that lots of people see the same signs from Jesus, but it causes two different things within them. And we see one of the big reasons that that Jesus' signs kind of take people in two different directions. And we'll get back to that in just uh, just a minute. Now, the next thing that happens, I'm not going to read this. Some Greek people come to Jesus' disciples and they want to talk to him. And then we read in John 12, 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. This is a, this is a bigger statement than like I would give it credit for if I was just reading through the book of John because it's a major transitional statement in the book of John because throughout the book of John, Jesus has constantly said, my time has not yet come. He said it in John 2, 4, John 7, 30, John 8, 20. Every time my time has not come or John saying Jesus' time had not yet come. And now he says his hour is here. This means that the moment the time period in which Jesus is going to lay down his life for the sins of humanity is upon the people. His moment where he's come, that he's come for, his destiny is upon him where he will be slain for the sins of the world. And he speaks of it, which is so fascinating to me, in terms of triumph. In the book of John, this is really a big deal that he speaks of this in the terms of triumph. Because when Jesus talks about his hour and he talks about his glorification, he doesn't just talk about his death. It's not just about his death. It's about his death and his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven after that resurrection and the appearances that followed it. And so Jesus is now saying, I am moving into the final time period, the final kind of moments of my 
life. And this is going to be reflected in what we're going to start studying. We're, it's going to, I mean, so interesting how the book of John picks up because next week we'll, we'll start a series that, that I, you know, I'm probably the first series is when John and this one are the kind of the two that I'm most excited about preaching because Jesus turns his attention after this to his disciples and he starts to tell them a bunch of things they need to know about being disciples before he dies and is no longer with them. I'm excited about that because discipleship is something we talk about in church a lot, but often we're like, what does that mean? What do I do? How does that, what does that look like? And I'm, I'm just, I think it's going to be cool to look at what Jesus says, his last words about what it means to be his follower. After that, uh, John turns his attention to the death of Jesus. We'll do a series called Passion. And from there, John shows us several appearances that Jesus makes to to people after he has, has been killed and come back to life, which will begin on Easter. And so we see right here in this moment, this incredible transition where, where you know, the span of Jesus' life is covered in all of these chapters, you know, these chapters. And now John is going to like just spend the rest of his gospel, almost half of it, talking about this final time period where Jesus is moving towards the cross, beginning with how he teaches his disciples, and then he spends a bunch of time talking about what happens after Jesus is killed and raised from the dead. John 12, 25, and 26 says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. This connects to something I said last week. You can give yourself to Jesus and gain everything or hate Jesus because he will cost you something. We see that in the gospel of John. And here Jesus again calls us to give the entirety of ourselves to him, but it comes with a promise. If we will become his servant, then we will become honored by God. And this is the first glimpse of what I've said is the big idea for today. We can desire the glory of God or we can desire the glory of people. We can want the honor of God or we can want the honor of the world. If we choose the honor of the world, then we won't be following Jesus, at least in the way that we should be following Jesus. But if we will choose the honor of God, then that will compel us and call us and push us to follow Jesus and to follow him more fully. When we desire the glory of man over the glory of God, we won't follow Jesus. And and there's this question that I think hangs out there in this verse, like, what honor are you seeking in your life? Is it the honor of God or is it the honor of people, the world, you know, what is it? What honor are you actually seeking? And then Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
I think this points us all the way back to almost the beginning of the book. In John 1.14, we read, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word is Jesus. The Word is God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came from heaven to earth as, as uh, one of the beings in the divine trinity in order that we might be saved. And so he says, for this very reason, this thing that he is dreading, he is dreading having to suffer for the sins of humanity. We would too, right? Like he is dreading that, but he recognizes that it is the very reason that he has actually come to earth in the first place. Jesus came to die and to rise so that God might be glorified through a renewed relationship with humanity. And I would point your attention to my intentional language there. He came in order that God might be glorified through, through a renewed relationship with humanity. I think sometimes we get this slightly backwards. We say Jesus came so that he might save us and through that God might be glorified. But it's actually the other way in the gospels. He came to glorify God through our salvation. That's how it works. Jesus, if you don't know the story, he came from heaven to earth. He lived perfectly sinlessly. He lived uh, the most a perfectly righteous life. And at the end of that life, he willingly sacrificed himself on the cross through the sins and the hatred of people. On that cross, he paid the penalty of hell for every person who has ever lived because each and every one of us has turned our back on God. We've rejected God. He did it out of an incredible place of love and grace and mercy. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And now he says, if you will believe in him, if you will become his follower, then you can have eternal life. You can have the, all the good that comes with that now, the peace, hope, love, joy that comes with that now, being a part of the family of God, having connection to God in prayer. You can have all of that now, but also you can have the perfection of heaven forever. And God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Now, here's what I think is so important for that, you know, kind of practically for us as an application for us. I've said Jesus lived sinlessly. He lived perfectly, right? And what allowed him to do that is that he always sought the Father's glory and not his own glory from people. It says that, like, I didn't come to be honored by you. I'm here to bring glory to my Father in heaven. And in the middle of that, we learn a lesson from Jesus, right? The very lesson that I want you to take away today, that, that we have a choice whether we're going to seek our own glory or, or, the, or, or God's glory, whether we are going to seek the praise and honor of the world or whether we are going to seek the praise and honor from God. But what's so cool about it is that we seek God's honor and praise. When it's him that we're trying to impress, then he in turn is glorified through that. When we want to be honored and praised by others, by the world, then God doesn't get glorified. But when we're like, God, I'm living to praise you, then he in turn is honored and praised and glorified, which is, a, I think, a pretty cool thing. And Jesus here indicates that. Like, I've come for this hour. I've come to die. And his entire life 
is driven by the Father's glory as our lives should be driven by the Father's glory. Jesus was able to live perfectly because he desired the glory of God over the glory of man. And we can follow him in that. And then there's this voice from heaven. Uh, It says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again, speaking of Jesus. And the people like talk about whether it's thunder or an angel. And I would just say there that I think that's all too common. I think Christians and non-Christians alike can do that. Like God can give us the big booming voice we want to. He can give us the sign that we've been asking him for. And then we just are like, I don't know. There's another explanation for this. I've been there. I don't know about you. Uh, And I would just say, don't, don't spend your life trying to explain away the work of God in your life. Too often we see miracles and then we explain them away just like these people. But then Jesus says in John 12, 30 through 33, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now notice the prince of this world here. That's a reference to Satan, the devil, the adversary, the accuser, all of these names for Satan. And and I just, it's not like a major theme here, but I want to point out that what Satan has been about from the beginning is, is trying to get people to focus on their own honor instead of the honor of God. Trying to get people to find their honor in things other than God. Think about it in the garden. The very first sin, if you know the story, there's Adam and Eve. And, 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 and I mean, there's no other people around. But still, he's like, God just doesn't want you to have the knowledge that he has. He doesn't want you to be like him. There's got to be this thing in Adam and Eve where they're like, I can obtain some honor. You know, whatever that meant for them, right? In the perfection of God, or then I can obtain some honor that goes beyond what God wants to give me. Satan is going to constantly tempt you to seek your honor and your praise from people and from the world. It's one of the great temptations that we always face. If you've been a Christian a long time, you know that there's going to be moments in your life where, where, where the question becomes, am I going to try to impress that person or the God that I follow? Am I going to impress that person or the God that I follow? And Satan is often behind that. But more importantly here, Jesus gives him a glimpse of the type of death he's going to die. He's going to be lifted up. But he says he would draw all people to himself. There's some theological nuances that could be debated and talked about there, but I don't want to. Instead, uh, I just want to say that, that what Jesus did on the cross, and I believe what Jesus now does in heaven compels, compels, it draws people unto him. It calls people to accept him as their savior. It, it beckons people to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins and for renewed relationship with God. But all people, all people must ask themselves, am I going to resist? Am I going to resist this drawing of God uh, to himself? Am I going to resist? And I would hope for every person 
that, that you wouldn't resist. That, that you would feel that feeling that so many of us at one point in our lives remember feeling where God is just saying, I want a relationship with you. Where, where for maybe the first time we, we were you know, told about what Jesus did on the cross, or maybe we just recognized it for what it was, and there was something just within that, uh, you know, just within that, there was something so profound and important that it just, we were drawn to it because we, we looked at what Jesus did, and it was like that there, there's hope in that, and there's good in that, and there's love in that, and there's grace in that, and that is something that I want to be a part of. And I think all of us at one point, had a decision to make. Are we gonna? Are we just gonna? Are we just gonna ignore that? Are we gonna fight against that and push back on that? Or are we gonna? Are we gonna give in and give our lives to Jesus because we are being drawn to Him? And I would hope that none would resist. But as we sit in the middle of this passage, I'm reminded that some will, in part, in part. Because when we desire the glory of man over the glory of God, we won't follow Jesus. Some will reject that drawing of Jesus to himself because they want the glory, the honor, the praise of this world more than they want that relationship with God. John 12, 37 through 38 says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they would still not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. There's like so many signs. I've said this in every sermon as I've moved through John, but there's like so many signs. Like, like people just reject him despite all of these signs. And I love, somebody emailed me and brought this to my attention. First John 1, 1, another book of the Bible he talks about how he's an eyewitness to these signs. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This we proclaim about Jesus. I will say over and over and over again, I have and I'm going to continue, please, if you're not a Christian, I just ask I plead with you, don't reject him without considering whether or not the story of his life is recorded in scripture might be true. And I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but, but it's, to me, it's such a compelling thing that there was these eyewitnesses who wrote these things down and were willing to sacrifice their lives in a literal sense because they believed them to be true. Most of what we believe about history, that we just believe, that we assume to be true, is because there was some eyewitnesses and they wrote it down, or somebody that they knew, you know, and told the story, wrote it down for them, like a historian. That's how we believe most things about history. Pick, the, pick a historical figure. That's why we believe that, you know, Napoleon did what Napoleon did. That's the reason. And those people didn't sacrifice to write down this history. But these men in the Bible gave their lives because they believed these things to be true. They saw, they touched, they experienced. They're like, this is true. We want you to follow Jesus too. Please don't ignore that. I think so often we think if I could just have seen Jesus, it would be easier to believe. But that wasn't true 
A lot of people saw the same signs. There was a lot of them, it says here. And yet they didn't believe anyway. And that was, as it says here, to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet says. And and I'm not going to go into all of it, but it says a couple of things. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. This is an idea that's repeated in scripture that, uh, you know, God hardens hearts and blinds eyes. We talked about it when I went through Romans last year in Romans 9, 22 and 33. Second Thessalonians 2, 11 talks about it. And I know it, it brings on this question, like, did God make it so these people couldn't believe? And uh, very simply, I would say no to that. I like what D.A. Carson says talking about Isaiah. He says, God commands Isaiah to undertake this ministry in the full knowledge that the results will be negative. Indeed, such preaching to these people evokes a negative response, is in some sense the cause of the negative response. In that sense, God himself through the prophet hardens the hearts of the people. He goes on to say um, about these, you know, this idea of God hardening people's hearts, several things, but I just want to give you uh, a couple of them. One, he's not just hardening people's hearts for no reasons. For no reason. Uh, that's never in scripture. And also God is working within these things for, for the forward movement in salvation history. I think that's a really important idea. And the reason that we know here in the book of John that he's not saying God made it so these people were unable to believe in Jesus is because of something we'll see in just a second. First, let me read John 12, 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. This church, we make a big deal about, a God's, about God's glory, and I'll just say this. It's the visual manifestation of that which makes him greater than us, or in other words, his holiness. It's the visual manifestation of God's holiness. Isaiah saw that, and so he wrote, in some sense, he saw that, and he wrote about what Jesus would do. But now, returning to what I just said in John 12, 42 through 43, yet at the same time, Many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Why? Pay attention to this. If you haven't paid attention to anything, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now, again, keep this in context. He's talked about God hardening hearts, but what does it say here? Some people did believe. So it's not as though God said, hey, all you Pharisees, all you religious leaders, you can't accept me. I've made a decision. That's not what is happening in this passage. Because some actually do believe, even amongst the leadership. And we've seen one of those guys in the book of John already. We saw a guy named Nicodemus. He seems to at least have an inclination that Jesus might really be the Messiah, the Son of God. We'll meet another man later named Joseph of Arimathea, who is the guy who goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body after Jesus has been crucified, which I think is in some ways an act of worship. And so there's religious leaders who believe. Now, we have to ask, because John's used believe in a couple of different ways here. Do they believe as in they're following Jesus? Or do they believe in, in that they think that Jesus is actually the Messiah, the Son of God, but they're unwilling to follow him? Uh, that is a debate that people can have, but here's at the heart of it, uh, so important. We have to choose whether we want the praise of man or the praise of God more. Joseph, Nicodemus, and apparently a lot of others, they know that there is hatred around Jesus, that spite has been centered upon who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And they are like, 
We don't want any part of that difficult thing. And so, whether in their souls or just in their actions, I don't know that we can separate those things. They have chosen not to show the world that they are following Jesus, and they at least have not been good followers of Jesus. And in this, it just calls us all to ask the question, do I desire the honor and praise of God, or do I desire the honor and praise of man? John 5, Jesus said it. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I mean, what do you choose? I'm going to make that a little more practical at the, ending, but at the end. But just what do you choose? Are, are you, are you, ask yourself, am I seeking God's honor and praise, or am I seeking the honor and praise of the world? Jesus next talks about how believing in him is believing in God, and how, how uh, he's come as the light, and how people believing him shouldn't stay in the darkness. And then uh, this last thing is said at the end of our passage for today. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Skipping down to verse 50, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying. I skipped a few verses in the middle. You can read them later. He's saying basically this, I've come to save the world. My Father will judge you if you don't follow me. But if you will, you can have eternal life. And all of this comes from God himself. Jesus is laying forth this decision. We've talked about Jesus being this divisive character in this story. And here at the very end, he just lays it out there. He says, I've come to save you, but you could choose not to be saved. I've come to save you, but you can choose not to be saved. And I want every person here, every person watching online to hear that Jesus has come to save you. But if you choose not to accept that salvation, then you will be judged. That's what Jesus is saying. And one of the things that will determine your decision on that issue is whether or not you, whether or not you desire the honor and praise of God or the honor and praise of this world and the people in it. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the reality is, whether it's about your salvation and your desire, your willingness to give your life to Jesus, or whether it's about your individual decisions every day, like that moment at work, right, where, where you have to say, you know what, I can really please my boss right now, or I can really please Jesus right now. We're going to make those decisions in large part based upon whose honor and praise we really want. We know this in just every relationship, right? There comes times we have to make a decision. Like, like you just have to decide, like, am I going to make my wife hop happy or my boss happy, right? Like if they say you're staying late and your wife says you've stayed late too many times, am I going to make my wife happy or my boss happy? Like there's a decision to make there. 
And when it comes to our relationship with God, whether it's for that first step where we say, Jesus, I want to give myself to you and receive the salvation that you are offering me, or whether or not it's Today, I'm going to tell the truth instead of telling a lie. Or today, I'm not going to fudge the numbers, but be totally honest with those things. Today, I'm not going to yell at the guy in the other car and flip him the bird, but I'm going to choose to be gracious. All of those decisions are in part made by our choice about whose praise and honor we want, God's or man's. As a kind of connecting statement, it all is determined upon whether or not we want our own glory or the glory of God. Because remember, when we seek the honor and praise of God over and above the honor and praise of people, then he is glorified through that, which should be the aim of our lives. I just, I guess what I want in your heads as we leave here for all of us. Is there's that question, whose honor and praise am I really seeking with my life? And as you go through your week, and if I can really shoot for the moon, you go through your month and your, your year and your life. As you move through life, you would just remember that in large part, your decision about your faithfulness to Jesus and your commitment to Jesus is going to come down to whose praise you really want. And if we'll, and this is hard, it's hard for me and it's hard for you, I know, if we will work at desiring God's honor and praise over and above the honor and praise that this world can give us, then I think we will more fully follow Jesus or you'll choose to commit your life to Jesus in the first place. Let me pray that we will do that. Lord, you know, I think about all those people yelling at me in high school. Um, Such a clear, for me, maybe not for everybody, for me, it's such a clear example of how what I really wanted drove my behavior. And I think that's so true in our spiritual lives. Like, we can, I can, God, like be, I want to live for Jesus more. I want to live for Jesus more. But when I hold on to that desire to to impress people, to be... uh, well liked to um, you know have colleagues respect the work that I'm doing at church, then it then it does pull me away from living for you in the way that I want to. And so I ask God for for all of these people who have taken the time to listen to me preach your word uh, this afternoon. I ask that you would compel them, God to want your honor and praise over and above the honor and the praise that this world can give them. And God, at the same time, I realize that, that often that doesn't happen for us unless we are impressed by the work that you did on the cross. We remember the glory of you, Jesus, who came for the very moment when you would, God, come and glorify the Father as you offered us a relationship to you. And, and so, Lord, I pray that, that we would just be just wildly amazed by your grace and your love and your compassion and your passion for us so that we might realize it's so much better to, 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 to seek your praise. The world is going to tear at us. It's going to hurt us. We can never find true satisfaction and fulfillment trying to 
make our boss or you know our friends family happy but but God we can try find we can find true satisfaction when we when we do everything that we do for you and I pray that we would remember that I ask all of these things in Jesus holy name amen